good morning. Oh, y'all are better than that. Come on. Good morning. Yeah, whoa, easy. All right. Hey, uh, I just want to reiterate something that Brandy just shared. Like, I want to challenge you guys to bring somebody with you next week. Uh, I don't want you to just passively post something on Facebook. I want to really challenge you guys to invite somebody to come to Live Oak with you. What's the worst that could happen? They could say no, right? But for the next four weeks, we're going to be in a series called Living Hope, and we believe that if there's anything that the church offers and that our world needs, it's hope and help. Amen? Amen. So please invite somebody to come with you. I just want to really challenge you to do that. Um, I'm very passionate about that because someone invited me to Live Oak, and now it's your fault. It's her fault that I'm up here. So, um, no, there's this cute little girl, and she was serving me coffee and invited me to Live Oak, and not only did I find a wife out of the deal, uh, but I found a church that I love and adore and am privileged to be a part of. So please invite somebody. I'm not saying you're going to get a wife out of it. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. That was not scripted. Okay. Jonah chapter 4, as we're wrapping up Jonah, we've been in this series about Jonah, and it's been challenging, right? Because Jonah was asked to do something that he did not want to do by God. And we have all been there. And today, as we wrap up Jonah chapter 4, what we're going to see is that Jonah's pretty upset with God. He's angry with God because basically... The question for us to wrestle with today, and it's going to be a wrestle. I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be a gut punch this morning, is that are we okay forgiving our enemies? Are we okay that God forgives his enemies? Because we were all once enemies of God. And aren't you glad God forgives his enemies? Right? But it's hard. And how will I respond to the God who forgives his enemies, who shows compassion and calls me to do the same? And on this Palm Sunday, as we look forward to Easter next week, as we celebrate the risen Christ, the crucifixion on Friday, Jonah's kind of the byline of this series about, you want me to do what? You want me to forgive who? Is a great question to wrestle with. Now, just to summarize Jonah, just these four chapters, here it is kind of broken down and I stole this from somebody else. I'm not this smart. But basically in chapter 1, Jonah is running from God. And we see the results of his disobedience. I taught that first week. And, and um, we see how it affects Jonah and the sailors around him. Then he confesses and repents and runs to God and talks to God and prays to God from the belly of the fish. And then he runs with God. He's vomited out on dry land and he obeys God and he goes to Nineveh and he actually preaches a five-word message in the Hebrew. Five words. And God overthrows the city. He overturns the city. The city repents. Now, as Doug mentioned last week, we don't. it seems like Jonah was pretty reluctant to take that message, but he took it, right? And then this chapter four that we're going to close out with today, running against God. We're going to get a lesson from the Lord to Jonah and to us today and really running Uh, Against God is not the best uh, title. It should be raging against God. He is so angry with God today. And he says three times, I'd rather die than be a part of what you're doing, God. Like he is mad, angry. And what I'm going to refer to is this word that Doug shared last week from the, the Hebrew, the word overthrow. The word overthrow. And it has a dual meaning. It can mean destruction 
or transformation. And when, when Jonah went into Nineveh, he said, uh, uh, hey, Nineveh, God's going to overthrow you in 40 days. And they were overthrown, all right? They were transformed. They repented. They said they were sorry. They acted like they were sorry. They turned toward God. And Jonah was mad because he wanted it to be the other side. He wanted it to be destruction. And we will all be overthrown one way or other by God. And the, the, the question I've been struggling with la, uh, since last week, or I've been wrestling with, is that what does God want to overthrow in me? What is he wanting to transform in me? What is he wanting to destroy in me? What do I need to surrender to him? So let's pick up at the end of Jonah chapter 3 and dive into chapter 4 as we re- wrestle with this idea of forgiving our enemies. Here's what it says at the end of chapter 3, verse First of chapter 4, when God saw what they did, the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. He relented. And then one of the great understatements of Scripture. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Now the word angry here in the Hebrew is a word called, I'm probably mispronouncing it, harah. And it means to burn with fire. Like red face, steam coming out your ears, mad. He was raging against God. Like, I'm talking about like yelling at the officials like, hey, that player tripped over his own feet. He was not tripped by one of the Red Raiders. That was not a foul. Mad. You know what I'm talking about? Amen? Nobody? Nobody? Okay. Just saying. Just saying. One play. I digress. Jonah's mad. He's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, God? He is mad. Why? Because Jonah, the bottom line is this. He doesn't believe the evil, the wickedness of the Ninevites should be forgiven. And if I'm honest and you're honest, neither do we. Let's review what the Assyrians were all about, what the Ninevites were all about. This was one of the most bloodthirsty civilizations in history. Right? They piled up skulls of their victims outside their homes. They removed lips, noses, and ears, wore them as badges. They cut off people's eyelids and faced them towards the sun so that it would blind them. They skinned people alive, men, women, and children. And we're proud of it. They did this thing called living dismemberment where they began to cut off limbs of conquered victims but they always left one hand so they could shake the hand of the person as they died. I mean, this was a cruel and terrible civilization. And God says, go tell them about my love. Tell them they're going to be overthrown. Give them an opportunity to repent. Now for me, the... uh, the Assyrian Empire is a distant memory. It was back in the in, you know, 5th century BC or way back there. I mean, there's no Assyrians these days. There's no Ninevites these days. There's no even city of Nineveh. It's gone. And so it seems like it's hard to kind of relate to that sometimes. Well, we talked about how terrible they are, but the, the Assyrian Empire just doesn't exist anymore. So I want to talk to you about another story, a little bit more modern story. Actually, there's a... Uh, um, a documentary about this on Netflix I saw that's coming out, not about this specific story, but about this person. In 1991, one of the 
most horrendous serial killers in U.S. history was convicted of 17 gruesome murders, shaking the public's perception of evil to the core. Jeffrey Dahmer took 17 young men, lured them into his home, drugged them, violated them, murdered them, and consumed them. In 1991, he was convicted and sentenced. In 1994, he was killed in prison during a prison riot. Few people mourned his death. Most people thought he would burn for eternity. Yet between 1991 when he was convicted and 1994 when he was killed, he came to know Jesus Christ as his forgiver and leader. The pastor who led him to Christ was completely convinced that he was repentant of his crimes. Dahmer was baptized, pursued a relationship with Jesus. And the pastor who led him to conversion was convinced of the genuineness of his faith. And when questioned, the pastor said this. He said, people ask me about the the genuineness of his conversion. They don't want to know about his post-baptismal, post-conversion life. They just want to know about his crimes. They They don't want to know about his life after he met Jesus. And he said, that bothers me because he is judged not by his faith, but by his crimes. Guys, I don't know if his conversion was sincere or not. I guess we'll find out in heaven. The pastor who, who uh, mentioned this, I read some articles about him, and he said there were some people in his own congregation who said, if Dahmer's in heaven, I don't want to go. Are we okay with God forgiving our enemies? Are we okay with God giving second chances to the evil, to the wicked? Sometimes I wonder if we're closer to Jonah than we are to Jesus. Let's dive back into Jonah. Verse 2, it says this. He prayed to the Lord. That's always a great place to start when you're angry. God can take it. He can take it. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I knew it. I knew what you were going to do, God. And then he describes God, the character of God. And if you're not a follower of the one true God, the follower of Jesus this morning, or maybe you've forgotten, sometimes we think the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they're two different gods. Really, they're the same God, right? There's a God of justice and judgment, and there's a God of compassion and mercy, right? And we think they're in two different, you know, old and new. It's the same God. You know how you know? You go read your Bible. And look how Jonah describes God. This is, how, this is what he knew to be the character of God. This is the God that we serve, the one true God. He says this. These are five words that he uses. And this is like an Old Testament statement of faith. This, this statement was used by guys like Moses and David and the psalmist, other psalmists, and the prophet Ezra. It says this. God, you are gracious. Basically, you're merciful. You're compassionate. Basically, it means to be tender like a mother with a child. You are slow to anger. You're abounding in love. I'll come back to that word. And a God who relents. This is who he knew God to be, and he was mad about it. 
God, this is who you were to me, but I don't want you to be it to somebody else. Like, your grace is good enough for me, but not for really bad people. And this word abounding love in the Hebrew is the word hesed. And this is what it means. It means the unrelenting, steadfast, loyal, enduring love. One of the commentators I read said this. One of the most, this is one of the most intense, richest, powerful words in the Old Testament. It is not a mood or something you feel. It is a quality of life that moves you to action. God is moved to action for you and for me and for the Ninevites. The closest word to it in the Greek New Testament would be the word agape, which describes Christ's unconditional, sacrificial love that moved him to the cross. God has moved to action. And it's not a feeling. It's not like, hey, I feel like doing it or I really like them. It's that you do it. Because there's so much compassion. It's this idea that if you saw someone who was hungry and you, drove, you, and you just drove on by, that's not it. But if you saw someone who was hungry and you said, hey, let me get you a sandwich and you got him a sandwich. You were moved to action. God has moved to action for you and for me. An unconditional movement toward us. And God has moved to action. Don't miss this. God has moved to action, not because we deserve it, but because we don't. Not because we deserve it, but because we don't. Now look at the contrast with Jonah. This this God who loves, who's unrelenting love. It says this. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then God asked the question, is it right for you to be angry? It's as if Jonah is saying, I have had enough of your goodness, compassion, relenting towards the wicked. Rather than seeing destruction, he had seen transformation and repentance. Nineveh had been overthrown. And Jonah's theology that he had projected on God was suddenly radically shifted because of experience with God. God, you should not be that kind to the violent. Justice must be served. They need to suffer the consequences of their action. Nineveh is too evil to be saved. That's Jonah's perspective. Versus God who extends compassion and mercy and this unrelenting, pursuing love. Not because he feels like it, but because he is forced to because of his great compassion and love for us to do something about it. About our rebellion, about our sin, that of us and the Ninevites. And here's the question that I'm wrestling with this week that I want you to wrestle with as we approach Easter, as we approach the cross. Am I more like Jonah? Am my attitude or am I more like Jesus? Am I more like Jonah? Or am I more like Jesus? Do I want to see repentance and new life and new purpose? Or do I want to see destruction? Do I want to see punishment? Do I want to extend compassion? 
Or do I want to see them get what they deserve? See, it's not fair. And thank goodness it's not. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us that this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what's ironic about the Jonah story, maybe many of us can relate, is that God called Jonah and he rebelled. God saved Jonah multiple times. He forgave Jonah. He commanded Jonah. He redeployed Jonah. But for Jonah, God's grace was good enough for him, but not good enough for the Ninevites. I mean, they're really bad. I mean, I'm just kind of bad. This is the incredible, radical grace and love and mercy of a God who is crazy about you and me and all people. And you say, Mark, but what about justice? What about judgment? This is not a sermon about human justice and moral ethics and the justice system in the U.S. That's not what it's about. It's about God and his great mercy and love for all people. And here's the thing. The God, the, what I said earlier is true. There, we serve a God of both justice and mercy. We will all be overthrown. We will all either choose destruction or choose transformation. And in all other world religions, all other major religions, you have to sacrifice one or the other. You have to sacrifice justice to have mercy. But in the Christian religion, you don't because justice was served at the cross. Justice was served at the cross. Past, present, and future. I love, I read an author this week and he said this, we will either be judged by what we have done wrong or he will be judged by what we have done wrong. See, God does not abandon his judgment on the wicked or his word of blessing for the obedience. He just simply demonstrates that the blessing for the obedient is the same mercy and love that he has for all creation. God never suggests that justice won't be done. And what Jonah learned and what we're learning is that this is the kind of God we have. And these are the kind of people he invites. All people. This is the kind of God that we have. A God of compassion. A God of mercy. And these are the kind of people that he invites. So are more like Jonah or more like Jesus? The God of compassion got him moved into action. And he invites the Ninevites and the murderers and the sexually immoral and the liars and the gossips and the cheaters and the greedy and the envious and the lust, lustful. And he says, be transformed, be overthrown by my love. We all will be overthrown one way or another. We will all have a choice of his mercy and forgiveness and compassion and be transformed that at or to reject it. So am I more like Jesus or more like Jonah? Do I desire revenge or repentance, destruction or transformation for myself and for others? And then God's going to give Jonah a little object lesson. So we get to listen in. Look at this in uh, Jonah 4 verse 5 and following. It says this, 
Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. I don't know if he's thinking, hey, maybe God will change his mind. I want to see if some wrath is coming. Uh, I don't know what was going on there. Or maybe he's just pouting. We don't know. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Now, this is another sermon for another day, but like when we're comfortable, I'm happy, God's good, right? And what happens next is Jonah's going to get uncomfortable and God still provides the things that make him uncomfortable. I don't know about you guys, but usually that's where growth happens for me. It's when I'm uncomfortable. Look what happens next. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Next slide. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I am so angry. I wish I were dead. Jonah is so dramatic, right? But we can relate. We're laughing because we know it's true of us too. Really, God? I'm in the slow line again. I mean, whatever it is. I'm so angry, I want to die. See, the, the book of Jonah would have, you know, it, it would have wrecked the Israelites, right? The Old Testament, they were God's chosen people. And yet the book of Jonah is clearly a book about outreach to people outside of God's family. People who are actually adverse to God's family, against God's family, the Assyrians. And God is saying to Jonah and the Israelites and us, That my love, my compassion, my grace, my transformation to be overthrown is for insiders and outsiders, for all people deeply matter. That's the kind of God we have. His entire creation, the vine and the Ninevites and the ewes and the me's and the sexually immoral and the rebellious and the wicked, the domers of the world and the self-righteous of the world, it's for all people to be transformed, to be overthrown throne. Look what happens in verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. Like, hey, I made this. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should not I have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, I want you to turn to Jonah chapter 5 so we can see how it resolves. Some of you are laughing. There's no Jonah chapter 5. This is how it ends. It's like God drops the mic and it's like, out. (laughs) Right? Jonah, you're concerned about the vine. You didn't make it grow. Guess who made it grow? Me. Right? I'm concerned about the Ninevites as much as I'm concerned about you and the word Concern here. We see this theme throughout Jonah, this God, the God of action. The word concern here literally means to take action, a suffering action. It literally translates to take actions with tears rolling down your cheeks. It's not that God excuses the behavior, the sin, the rebellion, the evil that the Ninevites have done, but He's going to take action to bring them back to Himself. To give them the opportunity to be overthrown by his love and compassion. 
And God takes upon himself the evil and the wickedness of the Ninevites, the sins of liars and murderers and the domers of the world and the gossips and the racists and the sexually immoral, the pornographers, the addicts, past, present, and future. And he owns it because they're his people. And they all matter to God. And he owns that at the cross. And what we celebrate on Sunday is his victory over that and his death on Friday that we acknowledge and mourn. We call it Good Friday. It wasn't good for him. He suffered a suffering action for me and for you and for the Ninevites. That's where justice was served. And I believe God mourns the evil, the brokenness of our hearts and our relationships and our world and the weight of the violence and the hurt and the betrayal. And tears flow down his cheeks. And he didn't feel like going to the cross, but he went to the cross because of that amazing love for us. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you and me and the Ninevites of the world to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. That's why Jesus came. To overthrow us. See, today is Palm Sunday and we celebrate Jesus' victorious entry into Jerusalem. And he just, he's about to overthrow that city and overthrow the world. To be overturned and transformed by his love. Jesus came to preach the good news of God's presence with us. And our repentance from rebellion and destruction. See, the thing is, God will go to any length to rescue you. I said this the first week of Jonah chapter 1. I said, God will go to any length to rescue you. He will send a storm, a reluctant prophet, a big fish, and his son on the cross. And it's still true. God will go to any length to rescue you and your enemies and his enemies. All people matter to God. All people. And we must never minimize the significance of the cross. It should transform us. It should overthrow us. You see, God's mercy and forgiveness is for us. God's mercy and forgiveness is first for us, but it's for us to share that same mercy and forgiveness with others. Because we were all once enemies of God. That's what the scripture teaches. Ephesians 5.1 says this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved. There's that action word again, love. Dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Follow his example. Extend compassion. Hold both truth and grace. But we will lead with grace and compassion and care because we have all fallen short of God's glory. We all need rescue. We must all be overthrown. 
2 Corinthians 5 says this, and man, this is so powerful. For Christ's love should compel us. It should move us when we really get it. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Therefore, if anyone, the Greek word here is really cool. It's translated anyone. Anyone in Christ. Anyone in Christ. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God. Not because of what I did or you did or Jonah did. Who reconciled us to himself. How? Through Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God's mercy and forgiveness is first for us. And then it is for us to share that mercy and forgiveness with others. And call them to be transformed. To repent. To move toward God. To change directions. So I want to ask again, am I more like Jesus? Or am I more like Jonah? Am I more like Jesus? Or am I more like Jonah? Do I want to see reconciliation or retribution? Forgiveness or punishment? Compassion and change? Or get what they deserve? Yes, there will be justice. Justice has been served at the cross. But there is grace and forgiveness and new life too. See, the question of Jonah is really a question about Christ. And what you believe about the radical, unrelenting love, compassion, kindness of him. When Jesus was asked for a sign in Matthew 12, he says this. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. But none will be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at, up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. The Ninevites. Like they're in. They're going to help me judge you guys. For they, here's the key word, repented. Repent means to turn around, to turn toward God. To get rid, to be sorry for what you've done and to Move away from it and move toward God. To be transformed, to be overthrown. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. Here's my last question. As we look toward the cross, as we look toward the empty tomb this next week, here's what I want to ask you. What will you do with the one who is greater than Jonah? What will you do with the one who is greater than Jonah? What needs to be overthrown in your heart? In your life? See, God's intention is for all people to know his love. Insider and outsider. God's mercy and forgiveness is for us. But it is also for us to share. To proclaim that message to others, especially his enemies. 
And I said this on week one, that the big miracle of Jonah is not the big fish. It's about God's unrelenting, pursuing love for all people. That God would go to any length possible to reach you and me and the Ninevites of the world. God called Jonah, pursued Jonah, saved Jonah, forgave Jonah, commanded Jonah, redeployed Jonah, listened to Jonah, taught Jonah, and then used Jonah to reach his enemies. And it changed Nineveh. And changed Jonah. What could God do with you? What will you do with the one who's greater than Jonah? What does God want to do in you and through you? You have no idea. But he is pursuing you, make no mistake. And he is inviting you into his great story to pursue others. What will you do with the one who is greater than Jonah? Am I okay with God forgiving his enemies and my enemies? And aren't you glad he forgives his enemies? What will you do with the one who is greater than Jonah? How will you be overthrown? Well, as I mentioned a couple times, this Friday is Good Friday. And uh, we're providing you an opportunity to reflect on the cross, on his unrelenting, unabounding love for you. And so we've got a, uh, basically a guide that you can use in your home. It's a self-guided devotional. You can find it on the app or the website. And you can reflect on the grace of God, how justice was served on the cross, and forgiveness was offered for each of us, for you, for me, for our enemies. This guide is four parts. We've provided some uh, music playlists if you want to enhance your experience with that. Um, it should take you around 30 minutes is what we're guessing. But if you don't have 30 minutes, we would encourage you to do some of it. Like I said, it's four parts. The last two parts are the trial and the crucifixion. So we would encourage you to take some time this week and really reflect and consider. And allow your hearts to be overthrown and reminded God's great love for you. Because he will go to any length to reach us. And God has gone to any length to reach us through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, man, this is a hard teaching. This is a gut punch. It's Sometimes I feel more like Jonah than Jesus, if I'm honest. I don't want to forgive my enemies. I don't want to forgive your enemies. And yet you have forgiven me and changed me and changed us. Thank you for your grace, for that love that moved you to action, that drove you to the cross, that's transformed my life and the lives of so many others. Help us to grow in your love and share your love with others, especially this week as we reflect on the cross and the empty tomb and the transformed life that we have through you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the one that is greater than Jonah and the promise we have through him. We pray in his mighty name. And everybody said, amen. You guys are dismissed. Thank you for being here. Hope to see you next week. 
at Easter. Bring somebody with you.